0: This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment.
1: What's up, what's up? Real MVPs, Ricky Whitmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swan. Hey, hey, hey. Trying to do something different with the uh with the point. I think I'm getting too stale with like the one, the only branded Swanson. I tried putting a little special move. You did
0: you it. did you did something new <laughs> for uh for the first time that we've been doing a podcast in a while. So you thought you'd break out something new, fun, and exciting. I'm
1: trying to you know, it's the it's the off season in football, so I'm I'm kind of in that off season mode but for football, how but exci- not for us.
0: How excited are you though for uh fo- I know this is uh basketball yeah. today, but how excited are you? For- for for NFL offseason coming oh, up, March March thirteenth, league year starts March thirteenth, and I am pumped.
1: Cannot wait. The best thing I saw was Adam Schefter was like, uh, "So John, tell me about your new quarterback." He's like, "Well, Adam, I can't. I Joe. I bet Joe Flacco's a real nice guy, but I can't tell you about Joe Flacco yet." Ask me after March 19th. Maybe then I can tell you a little bit about him. But welcome into the Primetime Podcast, your one-stop shop for college football, college basketball. Here at Most Valuable Podcast, Brandon and I will be your guides through, as Brandon said, your NBA journey today as it's big board, big board, Brandon. We got a big board this week, big board next week. We're doing nothing but the biggest of the boards. Like, I just want a board back here like the biggest of the board and it just says big board across the front
0: well we need to start doing that actually a wonderful like idea getting a big uh, getting a board. big board and then just put it's like you, you know when you're doing fantasy uh, fantasy mm-hmm. football draft and you have the the names all that we just, you can like velcro
1: kind of them up there. cut
0: out or something like that and just put them up. That, that's what we need to start doing. We
1: just Velcro them on there for Absolutely, the yes. We, we got to get on that. But we do. How we do it is we split it up into 16 through 25, then 6 through 15, then our top five. Before we get into 16 through 25, make sure to check us out on patreon.com backslash most Podcast. That is where you can help support us. That is where we're able to do this each and every week with the help and support of our great patrons, someone who uh, has been on the PTP a lot, Pat. Um, he's going to be on the Onside Kick this week. Actually, tomorrow as we record that, he, we're going to be talking about the Bears with Pat. So if you want to be like him for the PTP, $10 a month, you can join a podcast and we'll talk about what you would like to talk about. But Brandon, What's there to talk about with the Bears? He wants to talk about if they're going to regress next season. Mm. Hmm. It could be. A, it'll be a very interesting topic, especially
0: not for if me. They on go the get, not if they go get Antonio <laughs> Brown.
1: <laughs> well, that is what we'll talk about on the onside kick. Let's start our NBA big board. We'll start with 16 through 25. Brandon, start us with 25 and take us up from 25 to 16 of your big board.
0: You got it, boss. Uh, starting <laughs> things off at 25, Shamori Pons, the guard from St. John's. At 24, Kobe White, the guard from North Carolina. At 23, Kevin Porter Jr., the guard from USC. At 22, Tyler Hero, the guard from Kentucky. At 21, P.J. Washington, forward from Kentucky. At 20, Nasir Little, forward from North Carolina. At 19, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, the guard from Virginia Tech. At 18, Grant Williams, the forward from Tennessee. At 17, Kelton Johnson, the forward from Kentucky. And at 16, Trey Jones, the guard from Duke.
1: Well, and then going right into mine at number 25, international player, the center, the Georgian center, Gorga Batazde, bringing it up at number 25. Then Dietrich Lawson, the forward from Kansas, at 24. 23, another big man, Bruno Fernandez, out of Maryland. Then at 22, Jontae Porter, the forward from the Mizzou Tigers. Then at 21, Trey Jones, the guard from the Duke Blue Devils. I'm going to say that. Now I'm going to say that team. Quite a bit in this big board. Then at number twenty, Nasir Little, the forward from North Carolina. Nineteen, Grant Williams, the forward from Tennessee. Eighteen, I believe I'm the only one that still is in this guy's camp for an NBA draft, but I'm still putting him here. Louis King, the forward from Oregon. Seventeen, PJ Washington, the forward from Kentucky, and then rounded out at sixteen, Colby White, the guard from UNC. And Brandon, the first thing we are going to get into with our big board is point guards, which obviously we're going to talk about this name later because he is higher on both of our big boards. Not going to spoil where he's at number one. No, just kidding. That's probably still Zion, but John Morant, let's talk about point guards and John Morant is the top point guard in this draft. I don't think any of the other point guards are going to come anywhere close to touching him in this year's draft. However, You've got a couple of guards, point guards in this draft. Darius Garland, who on some big boards is higher than others. He's struggling with the injury. We've only seen a small sample size from him. Haven't really played. He declared earlier in the season. Trey Jones, who has been playing well this year, has been playing in more of a facilitator role, I'm going to say. I'm not saying like assisting. I'm saying like he's got to play with the three best players, arguably, in this draft class. And then you have other names like Colby White, like Shamori Ponds, like Ty Jerome um, from Virginia as well. What I want to ask you is everyone under John Morant, because we're going to get to him later. What are you seeing with this point guard field? And how do you think it's going to play out as we move towards the combine? Because to me, that's where we're going to get our definitive answers. But until then, how do you see this point guard field kind of playing out?
0: Well, you know, I think it's, it's a little tough to say in terms of who should really be the next guy mm-hmm. uh, right now underneath John Morant, because of the fact that Darius Garland is injured and that he's not finishing finishing this season. So now you look at Trey Jones, Kobe White, uh, Shamori Ponds, but when you look at the, the next two guys after Garland and you've got Trey Jones and you've got Kobe White mm-hmm. – the favorite for me there is probably White because he scores more. Mm -hmm. He scores more. He does more with the basketball in terms of putting it in the hoop. Now, Trey Jones, don't get me wrong. You said it. He's a great facilitator. He does that extremely well. But you also have to look at Trey Jones. He's really horrible from beyond three, Mm -hmm. like shooting 24% from beyond the arc.
1: And he averages, so he's making about .6 A game, and he's averaging almost two and a half threes per game. And like you said, he's hitting 24.2 from beyond the arc, which that could be a big hurt for Trey Young because the three ball and how not just deeper range, because that three-point line moves back at the NBA, but it's so important now to every team in the NBA as well.
0: No, exactly. It is, And, and, and we all have talked about it. We talk about it almost every single time. That the nBA is a league that is full of scoring, and if you're not going to be able to do that and score and shoot the three that you're you're going to teams are going to look at you with a little less uh excited eyes mm-hmm. let's let's say that but one thing that when you look at Kobe white what is something that he has to cut down he has to limit his turnovers he's turned the ball over about three times per game and he's only having about four or a little over four assists per game. So, you know, for every assist, it's almost like you have a turnover. So they're mm-hmm. canceling themselves out in, in in a sense. But averaging over 16 points a game, he's certainly getting the ball to the hoop. He's he's a good player. He's a really good free throw shooter. You'd be happy with that. Over 80%, 82. Mm-hmm. 82.2% to be exact. He's a strong player, a good point guard, doesn't do as much facilitation as a Trey Jones does, but he does more scoring than what Trey Jones does. So that's that's where it's going to come down to, do you want more of a scoring point guard mm-hmm. or do you want more of a guy that man, everything on the offense runs through this guy?
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of where we're, like, how I see it is there's kind of three tiers to the point guards right now. Tier one is John Morant, no one's going to touch that. Tier two is I feel like that's the Darius Garland tier right now because, like, you talk about Colby White, you talked about Trey Jones, but for me, the biggest question mark, naturally, is Darius Garland because we've seen not only just a small sample size where if you look at just the stats, and I know the stats don't tell the whole story sometimes, in the games that he played... He was hitting 75% from three, which isn't uh, from the free throw line, which isn't terrible. Jesus, he was hitting 75% from three. Give him an NBA contract right now. Um, but he was hitting 47.8% from three, averaging almost five attempts per game in the five games that he did play, and he shot 50% from the field. And what you were talking about is exactly what I think is going to be a big thing for these point guard guards under John Morant, because like you look at John Morant, I'm just going to bring him in real quickly. Like you look at what he does, he scores the ball, but then he also has 10 assists per game. So he's that rare class of like, yeah, he'll get you 20. He'll get you 10 as well. Like that is his ceiling. I would say at the next level, Um, kind of like that double, double, maybe triple, double kind of player. But then it's like Darius Garland. I'm going to throw him in the Colby White category that you were talking about. I know it's only five games, but turn the ball over three times per game. Had only 2.6 assists per game compared to scoring 16 points per game. So it's like with Colby and and Darius, are you guys just going to be score-first point guards who don't get others involved? And if I'm sitting here later in the draft let's say 16 through 32, I might look at that and go, well, do I want a point guard that's going to be a scorer for us or do I want to go with a Trey Jones because I already got my scores. I need someone who's going to play defense and then get these guys the ball and move the ball and set up this offense.
0: And and I think that you've, you've got a great point with that too. With Trey Jones, though, do you worry that he's not scoring enough? I mean, he's only averaging 8.5 points per game, and I know that that's—we've come Mm -hmm. to see, especially with this Duke team, that one, they don't need him to score, Mm -hmm. and and two, he's just not going to. That's just not going to be—that's not the role that he plays when you have Zion and RJ and Cam. That's not the role you play. I'm
1: going to ask a similar question that I know I'm going to ask you when we get to Cam Reddish later in this big board, is— Do you think that playing on Duke might hurt Trey Jones? Because it's like, and I know we've talked about this with Sean on the fast break. Sean has said numerous times, like Coach K, when we talked about Rui on the fast break recently, he said, uh, Coach Few, their goal is to win basketball games. Like Trey Jones is doing exactly what he needs to do to help that Duke team win basketball games because he's got the big three kind of above him. And that's why I feel like Trey Jones, a team that I've always thought he would fit really good with, is maybe like the Boston Celtics where they have their guys. They have Jason Tatum. They have Gordon Hayward. They have Jalen Brown that are kind of like their big stars. And then Trey Jones can kind of be that point guard. I mean, if Kyrie leaves, um, can be that point guard to come in and just be like, hey, I don't need to be the star. I'm going to be a coach's player. And I'm going to help this team win. I wonder if that is going to be where Trey Jones kind of finds his niche to where a team that already has that star power will then take Trey Jones.
0: And my next question would be: Does that is is that the mm-hmm. player that Trey Jones wants to be? True. I mean, how do we know? Because I mean, he hasn't said anything. Because mm-hmm. again, Duke's winning. Yeah. But how do we know that he doesn't want to be a guy who scores more? Mm-hmm. How do we know that he? That he doesn't necessarily like that he has to uh, dish off as much as he does and isn't able to open things up a little bit. I mean, he opens up the offense, but it's for other guys. Mm-hmm. He's usually never opening up the offense for himself. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we know that he doesn't dislike that? We, we, mean, don't. we don't. We don't. And again, if you're winning basketball games, that can cover up anything else. You don't have problems when you're winning basketball games. Mm-hmm. But let's say Duke was not, what are they, whatever and four? Yeah, and say that they top were top five
1: team in the in the country. Let's say
0: they have ten losses, twelve mm-hmm. losses. Then are we seeing the same Trey Jones? Is he and and, and and he's in the let's say he's in the exact same role or being called on to play the exact same role that he is right now? Mm-hmm. Is he still happy? Is is it still all going well? Will he have spoken out? Uh, you know, at at that point, you don't see it a whole lot from college players. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're because they're kind of uh, taught to just kind of keep it cool and quiet, you know, you haven't reached the league yet, so you can't necessarily go off and say anything you want, but do we do we know, and do you think, do you think that he's happy with this, role?
1: I'm going to go ahead and say this, and I can't talk to say whether he's happy or not, because I don't know <clears throat> Trey Jones personally. Trey Jones, I know you watch. <laughs> you want to come on and talk to us? Feel free. We'd love to have you. Um, but as I'm sitting here, and I'm hearing you talk and kind of be like, the the main crux to your question of, is he happy? I kind of think about Duke in, as a whole. And their whole thing of, like, they've got Zion, they've got RJ. They've got a lot of mouths to feed, period. And I was, while listening to you, watching some tape from senior year of high school for Trey Jones. And he can shoot from the outside. He can elevate and dunk. He can, on the fast break, dish it off to a teammate who dished it back. And then he put it in for a layup. So... I watch this tape and I go, he can score. But he's not scoring at Duke because they don't need him to. Here's the question I want to throw at you is kind of a Nasir Little-like question who we're going to get to in two seconds in this segment of the podcast. If Trey Jones was on a different team, not Duke, let's say take Shamori Ponds off of St. John's and put Trey Jones there. Would Trey Jones be the second point guard in this draft? Because he would then have more scoring opportunities because he wouldn't have Zion, RJ, and Cam ahead of him. And number two, he would still be a guy. Would he be more of like what we're seeing with Ja, where it's like, man, this guy scores and gets assist numbers in his games if he was the only person on his team, let's say, like a St. John's and wasn't at Duke.
0: Well, if he was at St. John's, he would certainly be scoring more points mm-hmm. because they don't have a, a big three like Duke does. No one does, but they, they would be calling on him for a lot more to score, mm-hmm. to score the basketball. That's what they were. That's what they would be looking at. And I think that you you would see his numbers be a lot more similar to Pons and it's, it's interesting how just the team that you are on and the situation that you're in affects how your numbers are and how you're played, called upon to play the game. It, it's it's so very interesting. But, we, I mean, we have to go with what he's got right now. Could he become a scorer in the NBA? Yeah, he certainly could. But we don't know that. That's what <laughs> other, other teams, certainly from his college film, aren't seeing that.
1: You know what I find funny, too? I look at all the other teams to have sent him an offer um, in recruiting. So here are the other teams that sent Trey Jones an offer. Arizona, Baylor, Memphis, Minnesota, Ohio State, Oregon, Texas Tech, UCLA, USC. If he would have committed to any other of those teams, first off, is he going to the tournament Depends on who he's on, Texas Tech, Oregon, maybe a USC. Like, yes, you're going to the tournament. If you're on, like, a UCLA or a Baylor, maybe not. Your tournament hopes are a little bit in question. But looking at those teams, there's no doubt he would be the man at the point guard position on those teams. And we might be looking at him a little bit higher or would be looking at him and going, hey, since we've seen more out of you, are we dissecting you a little bit more? We're finding more—like, it's a double-edged sword. Either he's thriving and he's number two behind John Morant, or we're seeing more out of him. We're finding more flaws, and are we basically saying, hey, maybe he should stay an extra year in college to develop? So it's like it's a tricky game with Trey Jones. Do you have any final thoughts before we move on into, like, a sincere little? Because we've still got— Two other things we want to hit in this segment.
0: I just think that from the point guard perspective, it is it is like you said, it's Morant here. Mm-hmm. And kind of everybody else trickles in after yeah. that.
1: Yeah, and I, I feel like most of most of the big boards out there kind of have it like we do. We're Morant's at the top. Um correct me if I'm wrong, Garland's your second yes. point guard, just like me. And then after that, it's depending on who you like better. Like, you have Trey Jones third, Colby White fourth. I have Colby White third and Trey Jones fourth. It just depends on who you like after that. But let's move on to same conference, different team, a guy that we've talked about a lot this draft process, and that is Nasir Little. He has fallen, fallen on draft boards, especially for us. He started number five. On my big board, oh, he was five for, no, he was five on mine, four for you in the 1.0 of our big boards, Brandon. Now Nasir Little, we both have him, funny, two big boards later, we have him at the same spot again at 20. He has shown some better games. He had 23 points in 20 minutes against Virginia Tech. He had a better game against Florida State recently on February 23rd, where he had 18 points, eight boards, and went 6 of 11 from the field. How are you feeling as we get to the end of the regular season? What are your feelings on Nasir Little, even after these kind of flashes of good games off the bench?
0: I I still think that he is where we have him right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is where do we have him? I 20. have him at twenty, and you have him at twenty. Yep. Exact same spot. He's probably about where he should be, and maybe even lower. Mm-hmm. He's not even quite averaging double figures per game. Uh, his 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 offensive rebounds are pretty good. His free throw percentage is good uh, when he's when he's at the line. He's horrible from three. He's great. He's great um, from the field in general. Mm-hmm. Um, close to fifty percent at forty-seven point six. There's just not enough else that he's doing mm-hmm. from the assist column, blocks, steals. He's not turning the ball over a lot, but he's just not doing enough to be number certainly not number one at his position mm-hmm. or number two or number three. He. There are guys on other teams who are adding and contributing so much more to their team's cause than Nasir Little is. And at the beginning of the season, I believed, and as as I believe you did, Ricky, we believed that he was going to be the guy for North Carolina. Well, that has not turned out to be the case at all. Mm-hmm. And it's a question that we asked ourselves early on. Is he being used the right way? Is he being used... To get everything possible out of him that could still be a question, but it could also just be is that nasir little
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that just the is that just who he is it, it's a similar question to Trey Jones is is this what Trey Jones is doing right now is this just Trey Jones or is this just how he's being used mm-hmm. and being called upon to do on this Duke team same I think you could you could ask of nasir little but he hasn't done enough consistently throughout the season to warrant being a guy anywhere near the top since, of course, we had a, had that very first big board mm-hmm. ever since. He's been dropping, dropping, dropping. I'm not saying he's a bad player by any means, But he's not a player that I would look at and go, you are one of the top players at your position coming out of this draft. That's just not true.
1: Yeah, and I mean, for me, the biggest thing, yet again, Dave and Sean always get mad when I bring this up, but I am going to bring it up again, is around the time where we did, Dave and I did the Big Board 2.0, because you were out of town that week um, for the end of the year, New Year's Eve. And there was an article that was posted by ESPN where they kind of discussed a practice that they were watching and how like the article laid it out is basically they run it. Roy Williams stops it, asks sincere little, Hey, where are you supposed to be? And the seer just looks at him like the article said, wants to give him the right answer, but you can clearly see he just didn't know where he was supposed to be. And he said, I don't know. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And, I've kind of always with Nasir Little been in the question of is this a is this a problem where we should be questioning what's above the shoulders? Where whether it's football, whether it's basketball, we look at football and basketball IQ. Um I know in football they always say like what's above the shoulders is a million times more important than what's below the shoulders. And I wondered if that was the case for Nasir Little, that it's just not clicking, he doesn't know where he's supposed to be, he can't rely on that raw athleticism that he could in the high school All-Star games, and the high school games that he played up until college. Then I saw these last two games that I mentioned, the Virginia Tech game and the Florida State game, and I think I figured out Nasir Little's problem. He needs to get out of his own head. Now, I don't know Nasir. I know that when Dave and I did a topic about could Nasir Little be this year's bust, there were people in the comment section that said they were related to Nasir Little or new Nasir Little. I don't know how true that is, but I'm just throwing it out there. I feel like without knowing Nasir Little that it might not be a basketball IQ problem. It just might be a... I have to get out of my own head kind of a problem where it's kind of like when you get the yips and it's like I could do this thing, now I can't. You you start like second-guessing yourself and then you're making it worse by second-guessing yourself. In the game against Virginia Tech, he just looked like he just went out there and played. Like he was just going out there and playing basketball. And Virginia Tech is not a bad team. Like I know they didn't have Zion, but this Virginia Tech team beat R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish and the Duke Blue Devils. So they're not a team that can just, oh, they were, they're Virginia Tech. They're not a good team. No, they're a good team. I just feel like Nasir has to go out there and kind of just play a little loosey-goosey where it's like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm just going to go out there and ball like I know I can because in that Virginia Tech game, he was moving around. He wasn't staying stagnant. And it was helping him get to the basket and find teammates open for assists and for other passes. So in my mind, that's his true problem. He's just got to get out of his own head.
0: No, I uh, yeah, I think you I think you're right to to some extent though. Um there are players who have the talent and they just they're not always they're they're not as quick to catch mm-hmm. on to You know, with with the basketball IQ, they're just not as as talented there. Mm -hmm. But that is still going to be something that holds you back. I mean, that's it's still going to be something where if if you can't, if that's if that's the if that's the problem, if if you are you know you know necessarily not sure or uncertain of where you're supposed to be on the floor and cannot follow what what play to run, Mm -hmm. when to be running it. That's going to be a problem next level. It doesn't matter how much talent you have. If you can't be in the right spot at the right time, again, it's not always going to happen that way. Plays break down. We see that all the time. But if you're not certain of what play you're running or how to be running it, that's not going to land you on an NBA roster. It's certainly not a starting spot.
1: Here's another question I want to ask about um, Nasir Little. Do you think it's just the fact of in the NBA for whatever team that drafts him, he's just going to be a project player where it's like, hey, we know the potential that you have. We saw it in high school. We saw coming in the potential that you have by watching that film. We're going to work with you knowing that it may take one, two, maybe three years for you to start to reach that potential at the next
0: level. Well, that's exactly— what I see happening with Nasir Little at the very worst because I mean again he's got talent but there is a lot more to get out of him there's gotta be there's got to be more that you can get out of this kid and Mm -hmm. again he is just a freshman uh, and is going to be coming out and going into the draft most likely there is going to be a team that takes him but whoever does is doing so knowing like you said this is not a guy who's going to come on the team and and fill a starting spot right away that's that's not going to happen mm-hmm. not not from what they need to get not from the forward position that you're that you're looking for mm-hmm. in an NBA everyday player it's that's that's not going to happen right now from Nasir Little unless all of a sudden things change in the ACC tournament things change in the national tournament it, Otherwise, he's, he's going to be, for big boards, for uh, mock drafts, he's going to be one of the last players taken in the draft, or maybe not even. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. I, and, and we put him on here, obviously, because he is talented. But he's, again, he is not number one at his position. Not even number two and not even number three.
1: Now, here's the last thing I'm going to throw in about Nasir Little before we move on to. I believe it's the. Oh, Jonte Porter's the next one we're moving on to. Um, Before we move on into Jonte, the last thing about Nasir Little, and this is kind of an epiphany that just hit my head right now. The player that I feel like Nasir Little might compare to with progression is a Kelly Oubre. Think back to, what, 2016? No, 2015 basketball season. Kelly Oubre, the young freshman on the Kansas Jayhawks. with That was, I believe, Embiid was still on that team. Cliff Alexander was not playing for that team um, because he couldn't get on the court. But Kelly Oubre was a guy in college, in his lone year at Kansas, averaged nine points a game, very similar to Nasir Little, um, 49%, almost 50% from two, 35% from three, 71% from the foul line. Close to Nasir Little. Nasir is 47, he's less than three, 25, and then higher in free throw with 76. Ballparks, though, for free throws and two-point percentages. Kelly Oubre was drafted 15th in the NBA draft. It took him two years. He had his first year with the Wizards. He played 63 games, was a three points per game scorer. His second year, 79 games, only six points per game. It wasn't until that third year that we really saw him break out. I feel like Nasir could be the same thing. Hey, let's take him just outside of the top 10. Maybe he's just at the end of the lottery. We take him. Knowing that it's going to take him maybe a year or two to get under his belt some coaching and just working with how the game is going to work at the next level to progress into the player that you want him to be. I think that we we expected him to be so much of like, yes, you are going to the NBA. You're going to be great. And now we're kind of sitting there going, oh, well, maybe he's a guy that needs a little bit of work to be what we want him to be at that next level. And that's why I'm throwing out the Kelly Oubre just to kind of, it just hit my mind. And I'm like, I, I've got to throw this out there. But last guy I want to ask you about, Jonte Porter. You have him, I believe, a lot higher than I do. You have him at 13. I have him at 22. My biggest question still is I've got two. Number one, the injury. How are you going to come off of that? Number two, you showed up to the Combine last year and were out of shape, and that's a big reason why your draft stock took a hit and why you came back to school. That's the main two reasons why I have him at 22. He's a guy that let me see him at the Combine. Let me see how the knee checks out and how in shape he is before I move him up my boards. What do you see from Jonte that puts him a little bit higher?
0: I still think it's the potential uh, from him. That, that's 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 really the only thing. I, I don't, you know, we, we don't have a whole lot more to go on. Brandon, other it's like than we potential. had him that
1: high before the combine.
0: That, that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's where I'm going to keep him. I, mm-hmm. I don't really have, a. there's nothing, there's really nothing else that goes into it for me. I just think that it's the potential of what he could be when fully healthy and in shape that puts him there. There's really no rhyme or reason.
1: Last question I'm going to ask you about John takes. because I feel like he's going to be the shortest, is let's
0: say— Yeah, it's going to be two questions and be done.
1: Well, let's say he comes into the combine, knees totally healthy, he's totally in shape. Do you see him as just a top-15 prospect? Could he crack a top-10
0: prospect? I'd still say top-15. Okay, so, I'd still say top-15. When what happened last mm-hmm. year happens— and then again, you show up, and you're not in shape, and it you know it's not that good. Then you have another year of guys coming in and playing really well and showing what they've got, and they're in shape, mm-hmm. and they're healthy and they're they're gonna jump over you no matter how good or in shape and healthy you are because of your history, because of what happened, and then you have all these healthy players coming in. Mm-hmm they're going to go ahead of you. So I still think top 15, if he comes in and everything's good and checks out, and but the top 10 would be pushing it.
1: Yeah, and for me, I think we have, what, two more big boards, I want to say? Well, we have one more big board before our final one, which is after the combine. Um, so really, for me, Jonte Porter is not going to be a big mover until – that last big board that we have, either a big fall or a big riser, depending on how that combine is. Him and Darius Garland, I think, both fall under that same situation of, I want to see you guys at the combine before I really make my decision of whether to have you higher or lower than I do, but this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. What do you think about the point guards in this draft that we talked about? What do you think about Nasir Little? What do you think about Jonte Porter? And what do you think about our 16 through 25? But Brandon, let's move on into our 6 through 15. And if you are Checking us out on YouTube. Hello. Make sure to check out our 16 through 25 as well. Before we get into it, I'm going to throw out. Make sure to rate and review the show on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, it's easy. Hit that rate. Tell us why you like listening to the podcast. Even if you're on YouTube, I know you have an iTunes account. Go over to it. Rate and review the podcast. It helps us. The good reviews help us get into more uh, more ear holes is how I'm going to explain it. More earholes so that we can get into more people's heads and they can listen to the great content we have here at MVP. But, Brandon, we started off with you. Start at number 15 and give us your 15 all the way to 6.
0: All right, number 15, the center from Maryland, Bruno Fernando. At 14, Seku Dumboya, the forward international player. At 13, Jontae Porter, the forward from Mizzou. At 12, Darius Garland, the guard from Vandy. At 11, Bulbul, the center from Oregon. At 10, DeAndre Hunter, the guard slash forward from Virginia. At 9, Jackson Hayes, the center from Texas. At 8, Romeo Langford, the guard from Indiana. At 7, Cam Reddish, the forward from Duke. And at 6, Rui Hachimura, the forward from Gonzaga.
1: And quickly to go through mine, number 15, that international player from France, the forward Sekou Demboya. Then at 14, the guard out of USC, Kevin Porter Jr. Then at number 13, guard forward from the Kentucky Wildcats, Kelvin Johnson. Then at number 12, Brandon Clark, the forward from the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Then at number 11, Jackson Hayes, the center from Texas. Then at 10, Darius Garland, the guard from Vandy. Then at number 9, Ball Ball. I think I said that right, Ball Ball. I keep saying Ball Ball when I know it's <laughs> Ball Ball. Um, center from Oregon. Then Romeo Lankford at 8, the guard from Indiana. Number 7, DeAndre Hunter, the guard forward from the Virginia Cavaliers. And then rounding it out at 6, Rui Hachimura, the forward from the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And Brandon, the first thing we're going to get into... This one will be the light conversation before we get into our two big deep dives of Cam Reddish and the centers in this year's draft. The first one I kind of want to throw out is kind of a package of Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark, the guys from the Zags. And the reason why is, if you haven't already, make sure I'm going to put it above Brandon and I's heads on the fast break. We kind of did a little comparison between Rui and Sekou Demboya. Um, I was on the side of Seku. Dave was a little bit on the fence. Sean was, or no, I was a Rui guy. Sean was a Seku guy. Dave was on the bench or on the fence, on the fence. about the whole thing. I want to ask you two questions first sure. off, because I already answered all of that in that fast break segment. So I'm going to leave it for them to click that. If they want to hear what I have to say about Rui, first off, what are your thoughts about Rui? And then number two, what are your thoughts about Brandon Clark? Because I'm not going to spoil where he is, but obviously he's in your top five because you did not say his name in either of these segments. What are your thoughts on Rui and then going on into Brandon Clark and why you have him as a top five guy?
0: So my my thought on Rui is that he has, I remember when we did the Rui Hachimura kind of profile, we mm-hmm. looked at just Rui. Yeah. Um, Early, early. People in were still season. not
1: happy about the question that I came up, which I'll be honest, the question was to get clicks, and I got you to click on it, but go on.
0: <laughs> so he's been one of the most consistent players in college basketball all mm-hmm. season long. I mean, if you look at what he's doing every single night, he's scoring, he's adding in rebounds. Not a lot of assists, not a lot of blocks, not a lot of steals, but. He's adding in where he needs to be. He's mm-hmm. a scorer. Yeah, he scores. He's scoring twenty points a game. Mm-hmm. That's outstanding. He has been, and like I said, he's he's just consistent. There isn't this. Well, he's got twenty here, then seven, then nine, then thirty. He's very consistent. He's been very good, and that's helped his team stay consistent. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga has been a very consistent team. All season long. And they are really looking to try and lock down a number one seed in the tournament. And they might just be able to do that. So that's why I like uh, Rui. He's been great. He's been really good from three. He doesn't take a lot of threes. But he's been really good from three when he shoots. Uh, 46.7% from three. That's very good. Again, limited number of threes, mm-hmm. but still good. And then 61% from the field. That's outstanding. But when I look at Brandon Clark, what do I see, what do I see from, from Brandon Clark? Well, I see a guy who is experienced. He's a junior. Mm-hmm. He's an experienced player. He can score. He gets a lot of rebounds. He's very efficient. He's solid from the free throw line. Not great, but solid. Uh, he could get better from three. For sure, especially when we're talking NBA, but he's a consistent shooter on the floor. Again, almost 70% from the field. Mm -hmm. Almost 70%, 68.8. This is another guy who is consistent night in, night out, and a reason why Gonzaga is getting wins. Exactly why Gonzaga is getting wins. He doesn't turn the ball over, he gets a lot of blocks. He's great defensively. This is a this is a good player. This is a good player, and this is a good player on, on, yes, a Gonzaga team that a lot of people will argue and say, they don't play anybody. I think that if you put him on a Duke team, I think that you would be putting him in the conversation of the big three. Mm-hmm. I do. I think that he is the number two power forward. Behind Zion, yeah, and, and, and 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 is that crazy? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But you just have to look at the stats. You just have to look at what he's meant to his team. Mm-hmm. He's been a great player, right? Right alongside Rui all season long.
1: And I agree with you. I would say I'm going to say he is the second best power forward um, behind Zion as well. But the only reason I say that is um, I see Rui as more of a three at the next level than a four. Um, So because Rui's not a power forward in my mind, he'd be a small forward. That's why Brandon Clark to me would also be my second power forward as well. The thing I like about Brandon Clark is, and this is kind of, I'm going to love hate with this. And the reason why is I wanted to put him in my top 10. The way that I had it kind of shaken down was I was looking at four guys. Ball Ball, Darius Garland, Jackson Hayes, and Brandon Clark. And really, I I would switch it one way and put them in one order. And then I would go, I'd look at something, look at this, look at that. And I'd go, no, 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 I don't like that. And I'd switch it up. Basically, I was switching it up so much, I finally was like, fuck it. This is my big board, and this is where I have to leave it. But, like, Brandon Clark, I had at 12. I could have easily had him as high as 9 or 10 in my big board. And the reason why I like him so much is because not only according to Real GM, he's got the second highest player efficiency um, rating in the country. He's a guy that has a motor, he's explosive, and that in in transitions and cutoffs can lead to easy baskets at the next level. And he's a guy where... And I wonder, yet again, how this will translate over into the NBA. I wonder if a team is going to look at him, look at that motor and go, hey, you know what? We could use a guy like this because he's not a guy that has to have his number called in order to impact a game. He can play defense. He's got that motor. He can get himself inserted into the game without being like, all right, we're getting the ball to Brandon. We got to get Brandon the ball to get him... Into this game. No, he's gonna find ways to impact the game, whether or not he even has the ball originally, and that the coach is calling his number, like I've said. And I wonder if that is going to be super appealing to NBA teams. Now, the only thing I do worry about with him is that he's six eight. So, like with defending, yes, I feel like he might be able to switch between threes and fours and defend either a small forward or a power forward. But the thing is, if he gets switched on to a center at the next level, he's not super tall, so he's not a guy that's going to be going body to body against true big boy centers at the next level. Any final thoughts you got about that before we move on into the big topic? The one that I think we're going to get into is Cam Reddish. And Cam Reddish... You talk about love or hate or love-hate relationships, Cam Reddish is the definition of that. Because I feel like same thing we said about Trey Jones is the same for Cam Reddish. When all three of the big Dukes are out there, go sit in the quarter, Cam. We will get you the ball. When Zion's not on the floor, I feel like I see a different Cam Reddish. And he's a better Cam Reddish. Um, than when Zion's on the floor. And it's been kind of hot and cold since Zion has left. Zion got hurt February 20th against North Carolina. Cam Reddish in that game, 27 points, shot 4 of 12 from beyond the line, 10 of 23 in that game. Didn't have that bad of a game scoring-wise. Then the next game against Syracuse, I will say his first time seeing Syracuse since I believe he had the flu The first time the team's met, he did not have a good game. He only had five points against Syracuse. Then in the last two against Virginia Tech and Miami, not terrible games. He's gotten to the line. He got to the line against Miami, six foul shots, although he only made three of them. And he had 17 and 19, respectively, while grabbing boards in the last three games. What is your thought with Cam Reddish? Because this is the first time in our big boards you've had him outside the top five
0: yeah because he deserves to be he deserves to be cam reddish why well well, i i think that he's a very mediocre player Mm -hmm. he's a mediocre player on a very good team surrounded by good players who help him to not look so bad Mm -hmm. and that's and that's a very serious comment and people may say people may say well if that's the case then why do you still have him at seven well, because he's still a good player, but when you're we're talking about the best of the best players, he's not up there. He's mm-hmm. not up there with RJ Barrett. He's not up there with Zion Williamson. He's not up there with John Moran. He's not even that exciting of a player. He stands in a corner and shoots the ball. He doesn't move. Whoop!
1: I forgot to meet my computer. That Go is on. okay. I he am going in, to forgive you. He, he stands, stands in the, in the corner. corner and he
0: doesn't move and he doesn't. But do, I... he doesn't do. Much. Here's the thing, Ricky: is that he is his game. Mm -hmm. is shoot, score, shoot, score. And if he cannot do that, Mm -hmm. he is shooting 36.5% from the field. Hold on. He is shooting 33.6% from three. Mm -hmm. From three, that's fine. But 36.5% from the field. He's only averaging 14 points. Mm -hmm. I mean... This is a guy on a Duke team that is thankful and lucky to be on this Duke team because, again, if you took him and you made him like a Romeo Langford where you, you threw him onto Indiana and he had to be the number one guy, I don't, I, I, at this point, I used to think, so oh, you're he, feeling he would
1: differently be, than he you would did be, about Trey Jones. He
0: would be okay.
1: Mm hmm.
0: But I don't know how he would be See, because he's th- been he has been struggling all season long for the mm-hmm. most part, and it's been hidden thanks to R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson.
1: I think we've got a similar conversation that we did about Trey Jones. Um, the only difference is that I feel like, number one, and yet again, don't know Cam personally, um, but I feel like, number one, Trey Jones is taking to his role as the kind of facilitator, defensive, non-scorer a little bit easier than Cam Reddish is. Because when Cam, like when you looked at all three Dukies coming in, Zion's a highlight reel. RJ's a guy who can handle the ball, score at the basket, shoot from outside. He's said he's got that Mamba mentality. That's all you need to say. He's a Mamba out there. He's the guy with the ball. Put the game on my back. I want the ball in my hands. Cam Rennish, as I'm looking at his high school team, most of his possessions, I am... And yet again, I know you got to understand at high school, it's usually the best player with, like, whether they're going to be a power forward in the NBA, the best player handles the ball in high school. That's just how it is. Um, But from what I'm seeing with Cam Reddish in his high school tape compared to what I'm seeing at Duke, they're completely different games. It's not just stand in the corner, wait for RJ, wait for somebody to get you the ball. It's, hey, Cam, you're going to run this offense. And the thing that I feel is the same thing that we said about Trey Jones, same thing that we've said about Nasir Little in the past. You've brought it up. If you put Cam Reddish on a different team, any team that doesn't have Zion, doesn't have RJ, and he's not the number three dookie, do we see a different Cam Reddish? Is it just the skills that he showed in high school, Coach K is not asking him to demonstrate those skills, and will it even be something where, When we get to the Combine, we get to Cam Reddish and he shows us something in the five-on-fives, in the special drills that make us go, Oh, what? He can do that? I didn't know Cam could do that. Where was that all year? Like, that to me is like, I'm sitting here wondering if that is what it's going to be like with Cam Reddish. Is he only giving you what he's giving you now because that's what Coach K is asking for, or is it, hey, he was really good in high school, but against the college talent, he can't do what he did in high school. That's why he's doing what he did now. I don't think that because obviously he can. He's shown us some flashes. It's just he hasn't been able to get into a rhythm because of having the number 1 and number 2 players from a recruiting class on your team.
0: I guess I'm just still so skeptical of... Is he mm-hmm. going to be able? Could he go and be drafted and be a number one? Could he? Could he mm-hmm. be drafted by the Chicago Bulls and go and be their number one scorer? And and the, and the Bulls build a franchise around around Cam Reddish. Now, is that a good example or a bad example? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't watch the NBA, but I'll just, you tell I'll just,
1: me. I'll throw it in there. It's a bad example because we already got Zach Levine. He's our number one. We already got Larry Markkinen. I don't one,
0: know they're so bad. I don't even know I'll who's on the team. There,
1: I, I'll, I'll change your Bulls, Cleveland. If Cleveland well, took yeah. them, because Cleveland they don't get it. I know they got Colin Sexton, but he's not really a number one. Um, but. So that, can, that is a question though. can he be can, number can one? He,
0: can he do that? And mm-hmm. clearly he shoots like he wants to be, yeah. but he doesn't make shots like he wants to mm-hmm. be. That's the problem with Cam Reddish. There's been too many but, games.
1: Let me interject. Could it be the reason why is because since it's just he's not getting into a rhythm, basically. It's, hey, doing what I'm doing right now, I can't get into my rhythm like I used to when I was the guy with the ball, handling the ball for most of the possessions. Could that be it? Could it just be that he's not able to get into a rhythm because of what's going on with Duke having both Zion, RJ, out there at the same time?
0: Too many games like this, Ricky. 3 of 9. 4 of 12.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: 2 of 12. 4 of 12. 3 of 11. 1 of 7. 1 of 8. 4 of 9. 3 of 12. 4 of 16, 1 of 11, 4 of 13, 2 of 15, mm-hmm. 2 of 11. That's a lot of games. That's a lot of inconsistency. Too many and missed shots. Now you can now you could say you could bring in your rhythm argument mm-hmm. for sure that makes sense. But I'm I don't want to make excuses for him forever. Mm-hmm. He needs to be able to separate himself from the pack and he needs to be able to separate himself from his teammates to say, to show, mm-hmm. hey, I'm a solid score, And guess what? I'm clutch. I'm making a lot of big-time shots. He's missing a lot of shots. I'm not necessarily saying mm-hmm. they, they're, they're big-time misses, but just a lot of misses.
1: Yeah, and for me, obviously, I've got Cam Roach in my top five because I haven't said his name yet. Um, the one thing I will say, and this is for my big board especially because I haven't had this happen yet, you did, is I feel like the more we get to... If we don't get to the Combine, and if I don't see something from Cam Reddish at the Combine that makes me go, all right, it's because you were on Duke. If I don't get that moment or like a, whoa, where was this all season? Kind of a moment from Cam. By the time we get to our 5.0, I might do this. And switch Cam Reddish and... Jarrett Culver and the reason why is both of them are to me similar types of players right now in college where the two things we look at from both of them that are their biggest strengths is the three ball and is their defensive ability and I think the more that Cam kind of struggles with consistency Eventually, if we get to—like, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to wait till probably the Combine, because the question I was going to ask you is, is there anything until the Combine that Cam Reddish can do to answer your question— I'm going to say no. Like, there's nothing that he can do this season.
0: Unless he takes over in the tournament. Unless Mm -hmm. he takes over in the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. But do you think that's going to
1: happen? No, I don't.
0: No, probably not. Mm -hmm. But if he can take over in those games and come up with some big-time shots, Mm -hmm. then yes, maybe he needs to make some shots that are memorable. Mm. That send Duke to overtime. That send Duke to a win. A Charles Matthews
1: needs, type of shot. He
0: needs to do something like that to get himself on the map again. Because I'm not saying that mm-hmm. he's fault, but this is where, like you you said before we think you about, said before we came think on, about you said how with, his with,
1: stock shot up when he made that shot against Florida State. That last second shot beat Florida State. Everyone was like, "Oh my God, Cam Reddish!" And then it kind of <laughs> like off. you said
0: for for NFL. You mm-hmm. said it's. Much easier because you have quarterbacks and they're usually gonna be the ones that are are, are super important. Yeah, but you said with but you said with NBA it's like splitting hairs. Mm-hmm. Well this is where I'm trying to split the hair and yep. and be so difficult With Cam Reddish is because he is a good player. Yes, Mm -hmm. I am not going to question, is he a good player? But is he a great player? Is he one of those guys that next level he's going to be a star? Mm -hmm. Or is he just going to be a really good player on the team? Mm -hmm. Can he take over a team? Like you said, can he take over Cleveland and be a guy that they build around? And Cam Reddish needs to be able to get his name back out there again as Cam Reddish. Not the guy who's the other part of the big three, Mm -hmm. because we know about Barrett. We talk about Barrett and everyone talks about Zion. (laughs) What are we doing to talk about Cam Reddish? And what are, what's our first thought when we, when we think Cam Reddish Mm -hmm. mine inconsistency? Yeah. It's, it's not this big shot or that big shot. It's inconsistent play. Cam Reddish needs to try and change that.
1: Like, it's funny. You, you mentioned how you're like, Oh, it's, Zion Williamson, like everyone talks about Zion. I'm the guy that has said, and this is going to happen, I am saving money for it to happen. If the Bulls get the number one pick, what I am going to do, if his name gets called by the Bulls at the NBA draft on our draft live stream, the second it gets announced, I am buying myself a customized Bulls jersey, number one. Williamson on the back and I will wear it every single fast break from now until the rest of eternity. Basically I have made that claim. That is what I've said about Zion, but you're right. I feel like the part that I'm going to say is right about what you said is he needs some magical moment. I'm going to say, and it kind of sucks because it's recency bias um, in our society, but it's like, think about that Florida state game where Zion left with an injury. Cam hit that big shot. Everyone's like, oh my God, look at Cam Reddish. Look at what he's able to do. Big shot taker, the PTP or the prime time player. And then ever since then, it's like, oh, well, same old Cam. Same old inconsistent stat sheets from Cam Reddish. And I agree with you. In March, he has to have a big game that propels Duke to a victory. I just—maybe I, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because I feel like he's being overmassed by two guys. That it's like Alpha's trying to—like, neither of them are going to eclipse Zion, so RJ and Cam got to kind of fight with themselves, and he's not winning that battle against RJ, but at the same time, they're trying to win games because that's what Coach K and his job is, to get these guys to win games. It's a lot to pack together, but the last thing I want to kind of talk about in this range— are the centers because they're kind of similar to the point guards that we talked about earlier, where we've got a couple, we've got the guy who fell at first and now he's back to being the top because people are like, well, you know what, what he brings to the game is too much. And we'll see what his medicals are like at the combine. Your number one is you've got ball ball. Then at number two, many people have Jackson Hayes, the center out of Texas. Texas, then you have other guys like Bruno Fernandez from Fernando Fernando from the Maryland Terrapins. You have Gorga or Gorga Batazde, um the Georgian born center from overseas. You also have Jonte Porter who I list him as a forward but can be listed as a center, but then you also have guys like Daniel Gafford who we've talked about who was in last year's draft decided to come back for this year. Charles who, who were in our 1.0 big boards, and then a guy like uh, Sagaba Konate, who was one of Dave's sleepers on our fast break. I want to ask you what goes through your mind with the centers. More importantly, I want to start at the top and work our way down. Ball Ball, Jackson Hayes, why do you have Jackson Hayes ahead of Ball Ball? Is it just the injury and that's it?
0: I think that's a big. I think that's a big part of it. He's with with, with uh Bulbul being out, only playing nine games. Hayes playing twenty more games than him. Bulbul was off to a hot start. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was averaging twenty one points per game in those nine games, so he was solid. When you look at Jackson Hayes, his points have come off, but this is a guy who. When I say his points have come, up, they're not—they're not anywhere near what Ball Ball was. But I think he—he he may have Ball Ball may have come down a little bit as well. But we're looking at a, a, a you know a ten point kind of guy per game. But he's getting the blocks. He shoots really well from the field. Um, he's extremely efficient. Seventy three percent free throw shooter. Doesn't really turn the ball over. I I think that he is the type of guy who is going to help his team win now he needs to be i think a little bit better in terms of rebounds he could get a lot better there like the fact that he's not necessarily close to a double double per game is for for me when you're looking at a big guy you want to have him getting some rebounds Mm -hmm. and getting some boards so i'd like to see the rebounds go up there but i still think that that Hayes is a is a solid solid player solid guy at the at, at the five but Bulbul is 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 special without that injury I would be very excited and intrigued to see where Bulbul would mm-hmm. be in terms of his stats in terms of what he's done all season long and then when you go over to Bruno Fernando this is another guy he's averaging a double double per game shoots really well from the floor really good from uh, the free throw line and these are some, you know, big guys that are shooting pretty well from the free throw line. That's mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a certainly a positive there. Uh defensive rebounds is a is a big thing for for Fernando as well. He has a a little bit more of a uh a couple more turnovers per game than than Hayes does. But when all things are said and done, the guy that I think is going to end up uh coming out of this this uh group of centers is probably going to be Ball Ball, yeah, and, and that's who that's who it's going to be at the end. I know I have Jackson Hayes mm-hmm. higher in this uh, big board, but I think Ball Ball is going to be the one at the end of the day that comes t- um, out on top.
1: See, and for me, the thing is the number one reason why I have Ball Ball ranked above Jackson Hayes is three point percentage alone. Like, although he was only shooting an average of three per game, Ball Ball is hitting over half of his threes. Every single game, he was shooting 52% from the field. Jackson Hayes doesn't take three. Doesn't take
0: three. Doesn't take one.
1: And the question that I have for Jackson Hayes, and I'm going to throw this to you um, to see what your thoughts are with it, is Is Jackson Hayes good? Yes. But when I look at centers, and I'm just looking at centers in the NBA that don't really shoot the three. Um, most of their heights are... Clint Capella, 6'10", 240. You've got Rudy Gobert, 7'1", 245. You've got Mitchell Robinson, who is a younger player out of them. Um, Clint Capella is 24. Rudy Gobert is 26. Mitchell Robinson is 20. Um, He's 7'1", 240 pounds. And then LaMarcus Aldridge, who has started to shoot threes more later in his career, um and are hitting them 6'11", 260. The thing that I worry about or my biggest question with Jackson Hayes is, is your 6'11", 220, is he going to be able to bulk up and put on the weight to maybe be, because I don't think he'll be able to be a guy inside without a three ball if he stays at 6'11", 220. He's going to have to be closer to... Well, let's say Clint Capella, like 6'11", kind of a range. Is that what Jackson Hayes is? is hey, I'm going to be an inside guy. I just need to bulk up a little bit before I get to play or while I'm in my first year in the NBA.
0: So, Ball Ball, he's 7'2", and 222. That's what they're listing him as. Do you think it's it's those couple of inches taller is that big of a difference, especially when he's those couple of inches taller and he's still the same as as Hayes well, is in terms of in I terms think, of weight?
1: I think it's different. Um, And the reason why I say different is I'm not really ragging on Hayes for his height. Like the 611 is fine to me because um, right now, like people have his wingspan listed as. 7'4", so he is a wider wingspan than he's supposed to. Like, average people only have the wingspan of their normal height, as I throw my hands out, like, that's going to do something. Um, But with Ball Ball, the question is because he's 7'2", how is his feet, his knees, his back, like, all of these things going to hold up? Like, he is also a guy that needs to bulk up. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think it's a little different because of where I think he's going to fit in with a team. Like, yes, he's going to be a center, but I think ball ball is going to be somebody that spaces the floor because he's got that three. He's not going to be down low banging bodies all the time. Like on defense. Yeah. He might have to bang some bodies down low, but on offense, Hey, I can step out for that three. So you can use me in the pick and roll. I don't have to sit there and be down in the low post all the time. Whereas Jackson Hayes, I don't have that three ball to my game. So I'm going to be more of that guy who is the closer to the basket, down low, in the paint, banging bodies kind of a guy. That's why I look at the weight and I go, is he going to be one that kind of bulks up? And I am honestly intrigued to see how Bruno Fernando and, like, guys like Batazde kind of come on in this later kind of a draft class. Because I feel like this is something where, like, Fernando is even a little bit shorter than Jackson Hayes. But he's got a little bit of a bigger wingspan than Hayes. But he's got more poundage onto him. He's got 13 more pounds on him. Than a Jackson Hayes does, and when you look at Batasday, similar height, but he's got he's two fifty compared to the two twenty of Jackson Hayes. So, like that's one thing that I look at and I go at the next level is that something that's going to be a detriment because, like Batazde, that's the big thing international to college is he's not going up against college kids, he's going up against European pros and he's going up against the Euro pros. Um, overseas with international do you have anything that you think we need to add with the centers or any thing that we haven't brought up with them that you're like you know what we need to say this
0: no i think we got it covered
1: well this is where you guys come in let us know what you think down below in the comment section the centers to me that's the interesting one because i feel like you were right if ball ball's healthy he's running away with it and he's the number one probably even a top five pick if he was 100% healthy now it's like top 10 a little bit out of the top 10 but let us know what you think about the centers let us you know what or let us know what you think of Cam Reddish that's the kind of big one that we had to unpack here and then obviously check out the Rui Hachimura Seku Demboya segment that we did on the fast break. And Brandon, let's move on into our last segment, number one through five of our Big Board. If you are on YouTube, obviously, because it's split up into segments, make sure to check out six through 15, and then 16 through 25. If you're on podcast services around the world, thank you guys for sticking right on through with us. Before we get into one through five, make sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ricky Widmer. Brandon is at Young young underscore no young swan underscore 19 or young underscore underscore
0: swan 19 i
1: always fuck that up young underscore swan 19 yours and johnny's for some reason (laughs) i can never get right and then at most valuable pod obviously is most valuable podcast go ahead and follow us all on twitter and hit us up with anything that you guys are feeling um with anything that we're talking about today on the podcast but brandon before we get into what we're going to talk about Give us your one through five, starting with numero cinco.
0: Well, at number five, Brandon Clark, the forward from Gonzaga. At four, Jarrett Culver, the guard from Texas Tech. At three, R.J. Barrett, the forward from Duke. At two, the guard from Murray State, John Moran. And at number one, holding steady, Zion Williamson, the forward from Duke.
1: Yeah, the only two that are going to change between your and mine are five and four. At number five, we've got Jarrett Culver, the guard from Texas Tech. Then at number four, Cam Reddish, the forward from Duke. Um, If you're looking for Cam, go ahead and check out our six through 15. I'll put it up above Brandon. Um, We talked a lot about Cam in that segment. Then at number three, R.J. Barrett, the forward out of that same Duke team. Then at number two, John Morant, the guard from Murray State. And at number one, although he has hurt, Zion Williamson, the forward from the Duke Blue Devils. And Brandon, let's start off with the one that I feel like won't be a long, in-depth discussion. Um, So Zion Williamson hurt. He's still number one on our big board. Um, Number one, why? And number two, do you think Zion should shut it down this year? Or should he come back and play for the Duke Blue Devils?
0: Uh, Number one, why? Because he's the best player in all of college basketball. (laughs) And no injury is going to keep him down. I mean, he is still absolutely the best player hurt. It does not matter. He is so good. He's been so consistent all season long. And he means so much to his team. Mm -hmm. If you take Zion Williamson away, just take him out of college basketball in general. And Duke is left with R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish. They're not the same Duke team. Mm-hmm. They're not at, at all.
1: I'm also going to interject because I forgot to say our patron, our, one of our newest patrons, John Woodson, who was on the fast break in February, he had a great idea for Zion in his camp. As soon as he graduates from college and gets drafted in the NBA, when he signs a shoe deal, what kind of an advertisement is? You make like a big man shoe where it's like, are you a big man and you're worried about your shoes breaking? Well, not these shoes, not the Zion 35s, baby. These shoes are durable for any big man out there. I think it's a that him breaking the shoe, John might be onto some. Might be a big uh, advertisement, <laughs> um, shoe deal for him coming for big man shoes. Wanted to throw that in there um, as I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. He did break his shoe. But number two, should he, should he even come back this year or yes. should he just stay?
0: Yes, he should come back. He should come back because if he and comes, we're
1: saying come back for the regular season, not next year. Just want to clarify. Yeah, that. he should come back and, <laughs> and
0: finish out this season because if he does, Duke has a very good <laughs> chance of winning a national championship. And if he does not, Do it you, just it just kind of shows that he was only doing it to get have some people get a, get a good look at him. Everything, like that. every and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't Do you, li- I, well, Nick Bosa freaking withdrew from school? You kidding me? that's why he's not going number 1 i'll tar- i'll guarantee you that but kyler murray's going to i'll guarantee your you mind. that um, but uh i i think zion if he if he stays if if he stays if he comes back and keeps going with duke and rolls out the rest of this season if he mm-hmm. is healthy they have a chance at a national championship
1: a national trophy
0: the national
1: trophy. Gotta love Phyllis. Gotta Phyllis do. from
0: Mulga. Yep.
1: Bush. <laughs> here's the like the thing with Zion is I do agree with you. Yes, but I am selfish. I wanna I don't wanna March madness without Zion Williams. No. Um because I will tell you this. If Zion plays in March, Duke is my champion. If Zion doesn't play in March, Duke is not my champion. No. That's for sure. No. Um but I do I kind of sit there and I feel like if he sits out, it ain't going to hurt him. He's still, like, he has done enough to beat It's not going to hurt
0: him, but it's going to hurt us as uh, fans. No, 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 I know. That that's is, why I want that's, him to that's play. The, the, I mean, that's what but it like, is. But, like, it's not going it, to hurt his no, draft it's, stock it's, to sit it's out. It's certainly not going to hurt him. But I, I, if, if you're healthy, you should be playing. I
1: am, so, am shellfish. I am I am shellfish. shellfish. I want to see Zion Williamson playing in March this season. But let's move on to the other two things, the bigger topics that we got. Number one, Jarrett Culver. I've got him at five. I've kind of have him exactly where I got him going in our mock drafts the last few times on the fast break. You have Jarrett Culver one spot ahead of me, trying to one-up me, Brandon, <laughs> um, having him at number four. Take me through what makes Jarrett Culver a top-four prospect in your mind, and what do you like about him? What do you not like about him?
0: Well, I think it's, one, because he is he's a pretty good defender. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a really good defensive rating his he's
1: versatility a, too while defending.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely he does. Um when you look at everything else again in terms of his overall just kind of f- basketball character and mm-hmm. what he's able to bring to the table, he's got he's got what Cam Reddish does not. He has consistency. Mm-hmm. He has consistency throughout the season. He's almost at a a, a shooting clip of 50% from the field. 33% from three. That's, again, that's one thing that's a that's a, a, a bit of a negative for him, especially as a shooting guard. Um, you'd like to be able to see it be a better than 33%. Um, he's right around that 70% for free throws. This is a guy that's just, again, able to get to the hoop and is able to score. I really like what I see from him. Like you said, that versatility. He's very good, and he can score in bunches very quickly against you. Mm-hmm. Those are all the types of things that you want to be able to see from a shooting guard, and and he shoots the ball very well.
1: And one of the things I almost wanted to say, um, and there's only really one game that goes against this, when the stage is the brightest, he shows up. And what I mean by that is look at December 20th, number two Dukes in town. Yes, they lost that game by 11, but he goes... Four of nine from three. He has twenty five points in that game, and if he didn't fall, or if he didn't have six turnovers, then that would be that's probably the only bad blemish on it. Then you have another ranked game against Oklahoma. He has twenty three in that game. Goes he didn't have a good three point game, but he went seven of seven from the line, thirteen boards in that game. They ended up winning sixty six to fifty nine. The one that doesn't fit that. Number 11, Kansas, where he only had 10 points. That was kind of a stinker. He went 0 of 6 from beyond the arc. But then they played number 12, Kansas, on the 23rd of February. He has 26 points, 3 of 8 from beyond the arc, 10 of 21 in that game. And that is something that, along with me, the biggest thing I like about him is his defense. And more import- importantly, like I threw out, the versatility of it. I feel like he's a guy. That although he's standing 6'5, um, 195 right now, 6'6, 6'5, 195, he's a guy that could play the two guard, but then also guard. Th- he could guard ones, he could guard twos, he could guard threes. Um, it doesn't matter. Like he's not stuck to guarding just one position. He can switch and guard a few different positions in that backcourt, and he does it at a high rate and a good clip. The only thing that I question the turnovers. Like I said, he had six against Duke. Um, the three pointer, although he can hit it and he's shooting a good person, he's shooting an okay percentage of 33. I'd like to see that get a little bit better, especially when the three point line is going to back up a bit. Um, but he's a guy that, and I'll ask, I'll ask you this question because Dave has asked me this numerous times and I tell Dave, I don't know because we still haven't seen Zaire Smith at the next level Dave says, is it Jarrett Culver that's that good, or is it just the system that they have at Texas Tech? Because last year, Zaire Smith, he was the guy that we were falling in love with from Texas Tech.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, Texas Tech is, as we see a lot of times in football, Mm -hmm. their system helps offensive players yeah be really good offensive players Crab but,
1: tra- pulls free
0: and and you know he's been released <laughs> but um I, I i think he's pulling that, free that's for sure. i think though that when you look at jared culver he's he's a guy that really can take the game into his own hands mm-hmm. and it's not that he's just a shooter i know i mentioned all the things from shooting because that's what a shooting guard's going to do. They're going to have to be a strong shooter. But he also... But he can drive. Can, I was just going to say, he runs uh-huh. the floor very well, and he can drive with the basketball. And he is a good passer. And he he's able to move the ball around and find the open guys. He's got good court awareness and understanding of not just where he is on the floor, but where everyone else on his team is, where the other four guys mm-hmm. on his team as as well as, are as well. But like you said, he runs the floor very well offensively and defensively runs the floor well with the ball and then is able to really get back defensively. And he's had a couple of nice blocks to swat some shots away uh, as a, as a defender.
1: I want to move in. Is there anything that you feel like we haven't no, said continue. about Jarrett Culver? Go ahead. Okay. I want to move into the last topic that we were talking about, because with me, I feel like I've said all I've had to say about Jared Culver. Um, I really like him by the way. And I think he'd fit great with the Atlanta Hawks. Here is one that we're moving into, though. You said, when I was like, who do you want to talk through from one through five, you said John Morant. I want to tag R.J. Barrett into this. The first thing I want to ask you is, between the two, and this plays into you wanting to talk about Ja. why if, let's say, Zion's off the board, you have the number two pick, why are you taking Ja? Instead of R.J. Barrett, if you're taking best player available. Uh,
0: Because John Morant is quite possibly the second most exciting player in college basketball behind Zion Williamson. Just an overall play. Mm -hmm. Some of his highlight reels. I mean, he posterizes guys. Mm -hmm. Not once, not twice the season. Multiple times in a game. I mean, that is... That's just how good he's been. Mm -hmm. And... You know, you talk about, again, a guy who can run the floor really well. That's John Morant. And and a guy who also does really well in space without the ball and opens himself up for some big plays. He does that really well. Mm -hmm. Runs the floor very well. And then I'll go back to it again. Just an exciting player to watch. That makes it that much better. But he's got the talent. He has he has the skills. He has the intangibles. Everything is there for John Morant to be a very good player at the next level. And I expect him to be.
1: See, and the reason why I link these two together is I was listening to Bulls Outsiders um podcast from NBC. I think it, it used to be Comcast Sportsnet. Now I think it's NBC Sports Network or something like that. Um their podcast, they do a show after every Bulls game and I catch the podcast the day after and they were talking after the Bulls Hawks game and they mentioned about R.J. Barrett like some are saying like oh he could play point guard at the next level like because R.J. is only 6'7 6'7 is big for a point guard but he can handle the ball and can show skills of a point guard and they're kind of debating of who would you rather have and for me Taking the Bulls out of it, because obviously they were looking at for the Bulls, I'm looking at for any team. The thing that I circle in on, two things that are different between these guys. Number one that I love with John Morant, the assist numbers. He's not just a guy that is going to get his 24, 25 points and, okay, I'm good. No, he finds open teammates and is averaging 10 assists per game. Now, I know there's people out there that are saying, Ricky, he plays for the, what is it, the OVC? Is that the conference that uh, Murray State is in? Ricky, he's in the OVC. Why the hell, like, who the hell is he playing? Ooh, Eastern Illinois. Whoa, let me grab my britches here because he's playing some tough competition. I get it. The competition that he may be playing against is weaker. But... I feel like he's still putting up numbers that are really freaking good in college basketball. And that's why I also have him as my number two prospect on my big board along with you. That's number one. He gets more assists than RJ. I feel like RJ at the point guard position wouldn't work because RJ, yes, he can pass, but he doesn't rack up as many assists. The second one is three-point percentage, and this goes for both of them. They need to get better with it. Um, and this is the splitting hairs part hmm. with both of them. They both shoot a similar percentage. Thirty-four for Ja, thirty-two for RJ. RJ averages about two makes or two makes a game on six attempts. Ja's at about two makes a game on five attempts. So they're almost the same. Which one of these players do you see being a better? better three-point shooter at the next level, and that's what I think it has to come down to. And for me, I don't really know which one's going to be the better three-point shooter at the next level, but I'm putting my money on Ja Morant because of what I see in those free-throw numbers. He's a guy that hits 81% of his free-throws compared to just 67% for RJ, and Ja's going to go to the line for at least two more foul attempts per game than RJ will.
0: I mean, I was just gonna say the the, the stats right now show it in better favor for John ja Morant mm-hmm. than RJ Barrett. And and nothing necessarily glaring, but a little bit more.
1: Do you think the five turnovers a game is a little glaring for Ja?
0: Yes. That is. You've got to cut <laughs> down I mean, you do. You I mean you have to mm-hmm. you have to cut down on that. That is Way too many turnovers when you're, I mean, when you're getting a little over five rebounds a game, and you're still getting a little over five turn, uh, turnovers a game. Mm-hmm. Again, kind of canceling each other out. Ten assists is outstanding, mm-hmm. but that almost comes down to then five assist, five assists because you're giving the ball away five times. Yeah. That's got to be cut down, and you know that'll that'll come. That'll come. Everything else is outstanding. It's really good. That's why I think you can look past a little bit the turnovers, but still something, not necessarily a problem, just maybe a bit of a concern that you'd want to see certainly be on. You want to see it be on the decline very quickly.
1: One of the last questions I want to ask you, and this is about <clears throat> John now kind of pushing RJ to the side on Twitter. And I know Sean has been very vocal about this, um, where on Twitter we've seen some people tweeting at MVP where basically it's like, why do you like Ja so much? First off, who's the last point guard to come out of Murray State? I'll give you a hint, it's campaign, who was drafted by the Thunder, traded to the Bulls, and then fizzled out because he's hot garbage. Um, <laughs> that's what campaign is. Um hot garbage. Um, what do you say to people that think number one, don't be so high on Ja because we were high on campaign coming out and He didn't amass to anything from Murray State, and do you think him coming from a smaller school means anything in the draft? Like, does it affect him at all that he comes from a small school?
0: Who cares? That's my answer.
1: That's what I say.
0: Who cares? Who cares? cares? Where
1: did Steph Curry go?
0: Um. Do you remember? Davidson? Davidson. Is Davidson, Davidson a big they, school? Man, they throw up big point guards every year, don't they, Ricky? Are they a big school? Don't they? Yeah, they yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. No. I can't
1: even remember the last person. No, Davidson. no,
0: no, you morons. <laughs> who cares what school they come from? Mm-hmm. As long as they're solid and as long as they are an outstanding player, who cares where they came from? It doesn't matter. That's a, such a moronic Close minded argument that's not even an argument, but nice try. Mm-hmm. So, if he comes from Murray State, you're just automatically gonna say, No, he's not gonna be good. I've never heard of Murray State, and here I don't one. like their conference. I'm tapping that's in, horrible,
1: and I'm tapping into your um college basketball and maybe a little NBA knowledge that I know you don't have. Uh, <laughs> think back to 2013's uh. NCAA tournament because I believe they were in the tournament that year. CJ McCollum came from this small school that beat Duke as a 15th seed. Lehigh. 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 How's CJ McCollum doing at the next level? I'll tell you, Brandon, really freaking good. He's good. He's, let's put it this way, he is a staple on his team. So, like, I see that and it's just like, you know what? Like, why is that even an argument? Like, jaw to me, Yes, are there faults to his game? Or I'll say things that he needs to work on. Yes, turnovers are one of them. Maybe working on that three-point shot to boost up that three-point percentage would be another one. Although I do like that he's taking at least five for game because it's telling me that he's not afraid to shoot that shot. And we can just work on it and get that percentage up. But I just think just because, oh, he's coming from Murray State and campaign came from Murray State, it's just why is that even an argument? It should not be an argument. It should be look at his game. That is what we're looking at. Shouldn't that even matter where he's coming from?
0: No, it it shouldn't at all. It shouldn't at all. It makes no sense. If he's a good player, you could come from anywhere.
1: Any final thoughts before we wrap this podcast up? No. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Also, make sure to tune in next week as it'll be big board uh, second one for, like, the back-to-back week that we're doing. But I believe it's 4.0 uh, on the NFL side. Just had the combine, so we have to do our post-combine um, NFL Big Board, that'll be coming at you next week. Make sure to hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Most Valuable Podcast to help support the podcast. We obviously can't do what we keep on doing without the love and support from our patrons. Make sure to give us a rate and review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, at Ricky Widmer, at young underscore swan 19, you, you got gotta it. write this down, <laughs> and at most valuable Pod is most valuable podcast. to well, thank you guys for watching on YouTube. Thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.